Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 12th of March 2012. For newcomers, help yourself to the free audios at cuttingthroughthematrix.com because if you don't understand the past, you won't understand the present or the future where all things are supposed to go because I go through the histories of the organizations that came together a long time ago to govern the planet properly, the way that they said it was to be proper, rather than this wishy-washy way of, of doing things, scientifically, if you might, you might say, and how they got together, men of uh, incredible wealth, and you talk about international bankers and, and lenders to nations, and uh, they formed their own societies and eventually got royal charters, in fact, to, to exist and implement their policies. Biggest think tanks there are two to the to the countries, the nations, and to the United Nations as well, which they set up as well to be the embryo system for a a, a new uh, global government. So help yourself to the audios in the archive section at cuttingthroughmatrix.com, and you'll find different books mentioned, authors, people who took part in these big global meetings, and who helped design the, the very present culture and the changes in the culture and society that you're experiencing today. Because a lot of them are dead now, but they planned it an awful long time ago, step by step by step. You can't understand anything until you understand the past. And, as I say, these boys created, literally 100 to 150 years in advance, all the changes that the society is to go through on the way to this world integrative system. Remember, too, you are the audience that bring me to you. You can buy the books and discs at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. And from the U.S. to Canada, you can you can actually use a personal check or an international postal money order or PayPal. Some people just send cash across the world, Western Union, MoneyGram, and again, PayPal. And straight donations are certainly welcome because I am so incredibly busy doing what I do. I mean, I have to check maybe a 100-odd stories per day and read them all to pick out the relevant ones and throw the rest in the, in the heap because there's no point in just prattling on, on what the news gives you. I try and fill in the little blank spots that the media doesn't give you along with the stories. In other words, I fulfill the stories, I complete the stories by adding to it the stuff that you don't know and the media is not going to tell you. But we are on a massive change towards a, a new uh, organization across the world. Some of us are further along than others in countries. Others are still just getting hammered now with uh, systems that Britain, Canada, and the States had introduced maybe 20 years ago with uh, massive free trade agreements. And, of course, they're, they're in shock with the layoffs across the country in Australia. And, of course, now they'll be importing like crazy and exporting practically nothing except raw materials, the same as Canada. So the world's been shaken up, and there's more shaking up to do. Uh, as they go through the countries that aren't into this system, that don't have central banks, mainly the Muslim countries, 
And of course, they must bend the knee to the new system and allow it themselves to be overrun, or it'll be done by force. There's no doubt about it. This is there's no there's no uh, sort of tipsing through the daisies with these guys. These guys have the gloves off now, and they're going across the world. The Bush regime called it revolutionary democracy by forcing democracy on the public of other countries that don't have it. Not that we have it here. It's a good, nice, fuzzy-sounding term in the Disney sense. But uh, that's what's happening to the Muslim nations now. And they must come under this global society and are not allowed to be nationalistic anymore. So I try, as I say, to put it together for you coherently, uh, put out the nonsense and fill in the blanks that the media leave out. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back cutting through the matrix. I've talked many times about this global society where everything's to be one in the end. Just like the movies, oh, who's the one? Everything must become one. And uh, and that's what they're doing now. They're one corporation eventually in the world will run all electricity, eventually. Uh, one will, will control all foodstuffs, etc. That's the way it's meant to go, you see. It's planned that way. And... This article here is about electricity. I've mentioned how how electricity is going to cost you so much for a lot less uh, that you're going to receive. So the big boys aren't losing out, for instance, by bringing in rolling blackouts or brownouts, as they've been experimenting across Europe with for a while. Uh, they're going to actually get more money than ever before for the little they have to give you. So that there's less material, less outlay, less work for them, and more money comes in. It's all about energy, as they say. And he who controls energy controls everything pretty well in this system. But this article is from IBM, and I think ATT brought it, brought it in. Uh, they're responsible for the actual article. But uh, anyway, it says, um, without, without a smart grid, electricity prices will soar. So there's your propaganda piece. Uh, you've got to let us have our way, or, or the prices are going to go through the roof. Now, every country who's had parts of the smart grid already put in place, like Canada, uh, where, where they're installing all the smart meters. Along the smart meters in your local electricity companies, uh, they tell you uh, that uh, by the, at the end of four years, your, el- your electric price is going to quadruple, or actually more than that, you've been already. So even with it in, it's going to quadruple. So it says March 7, it says, McClatchy Tribune Information Services via Comtex Electricity prices in Western countries will soar 400% in the next 30 years if electricity grids do not become smart grids. Now, this, these are, this is putting pressure on the governments who are quite willing to be pressurized because they'll have, get to put shares in these companies now, all the politicians. And, um, they are creating a global grid. Uh, so uh, all of our power eventually will be in, going on to one grid across the world. And when they need something, uh, some more electricity in one area, they'll simply take it from another and shut you down for a while. That's a brownout, you see. Maurice Strong, who was, came over to privatize Ontario Hydro, that was the company, a massive company that supplied Ontario for an awful long time, built by the taxpayer, etc. And he privatized it and gave it off to his buddies for peanuts. He actually said that this coming system would be just like what I'm reading right now. And there would be brownouts. And 
uh, after he'd sold off uh, Ontario Hydro. And he was getting two paychecks, by the way, they found out at the time, one from the World Bank, because he still worked for the United Nations, and one from uh, Ontario Hydro. But anyway, he said eventually they'd have to make it to, the electricity go where it's going to make a profit, in other words, for the big factories that are still going. Well, that's not in the Western countries, because we've lost all the factories to China. So he advised uh, that the taxpayer fund essential uh, services, that's that's your big businesses, that's your governmental uh, buildings with massive generators, diesel generators to get through these hard times that he said, oh, at least 15, 16, 17 years ago would come in. It was all planned a long time ago. Anyway, since Bartels came to Israel last month as a guest of the Israel Smart Grid Consortium, the first step that we're taking in Israel towards introducing a smart grid will be a pilot scheme starting at the end of the year amongst 2,500 households in Binyamina. It's an initiative by Israel Electric Corporation that involves installing systems that will provide running information on the Internet about electricity consumption. Well, that's basically your, your smart meters and so on. And that will enable the IEC and the consumer to plan the home's consumption with a view to making it more efficient. This is it's about sustainability and bringing it down to the minimum for the general public. That's what it's all about. Agenda 21, etc. Uh, so you're and against under austerity. To create austerity, your spending money at the end of the month will have to go to paying electricity and things like that. That's where it will go. Not in buying something that you need or want, but through services that become essentials. So that's where it's all going, as I say. And um, this is a quite lengthy article, but it does go through all the different types of um, smart grid systems they're testing elsewhere and how they're going to put across the whole planet, basically. And you'll be paying an awful lot more money for it. I guess it'll be the value of your region, as they like to call it, United Nations, is the value of your, re- your region really... Uh, making a good profit right now, do they need the, the electricity or should we switch it off to somewhere in China for uh, the next few days? This is where it's all going to go. Now, I've talked so much about bioethics in the past, which is just the new term for eugenics, and they have a, a new role to play, and that's the, the, the role in, in, in vaccinations. Should we vaccinate the public uh, mandatorily or, or whatever? And this article here, it's about just that. It says, treating children whose parents refuse to have them vaccinated. And this is from a Virtual Mentor, it's called. And it's American Medical Association Journal of Ethics. So it says, Dr. Fain, a Denver pediatrician, mentions to his colleague, Dr. Manning, that parents' refusal of vaccines for their children has become more popular amongst parents in his patient panel in the last five years. Then he goes on to say, lower down, the CDC has recommended schedules for vaccination, but I know you would like to respect the discretion of parents and parents of patients as much as possible. So what are you going to do? There's your, your, your preposition right there. What are you going to do if they don't want it? And then he goes through the reasons that they're going to make you take it regardless. In the past, I've documented the vaccine refusal and moved on, but I'm considering changing my approach, Dr. Fain responds. As the number of unvaccinated children in my practice increases, I wonder if I am creating a risky environment for vaccine-preventable infections in my community. We recently witnessed an outbreak of pertussis nearby in Boulder because the percentage of immunized children at a certain school was below threshold necessary for herd immunity. Where's part of the herd, you see? 
And so I'm thinking of insisting that my patients receive vaccinations according to the standard schedule, unless, of course, there's a specific health-related reason why an individual child should not be vaccinated. I'm also considering not treating children in my practice unless they are vaccinated. And that's the key right there. This is going to tell what to do, every other doctor what to do. If you won't take the vaccinations, then you're off my list. Go find another doctor until they're all doing the same thing. That's her bioethics. It's written in almost like a, a platonic discourse. And that's exactly what it is. It's really meant to hit GPs and to tell them how to handle it by simply refusing to see them in the future. And it goes on to talk about the different cases of measles and so on and so on and so on. But the reality is, you see, if you are unimmunized, then technically you should be quite... uh, If anything happened and you caught the measles, then all those who have had their injections, inoculations, vaccines, should be immune, right? If if it works, which it doesn't, but if it worked, uh, they'd be immune. And so, so you'd pose no risk to them at all. Because you didn't take it. But he's really telling them, as I say, how to handle the patients to strike them off your list. And this is from, as I say, the American Medical Association Journal of Ethics. That's what all the doctors read to see how to handle this kind of situation. Now, <laughs> we've gone through Monsanto and the various other uh, genetically modified Character, they are characters, I think, themselves, not only the crops, but the people themselves. But anyway, to do with um, the so-called debates on should you eat this stuff or not. Well, there's just too many articles come out on small, independent, often non-authorized surveys because, you see, Monsanto and the big boys have the patents on these things and they don't allow you to, to do any testing on it, which is great if they're killing you, right? You know, no one can test this stuff. But anyway, it says GM debate in Europe is based on emotion, not evidence. And this is from uh, the, the chief scientific officer, the Tsar of the European Union. They have their Tsars just like we've got their Tsars because we are the new Soviet system. It says the evidence based to support greater use of genetically modified crops and animals, and animals, right, developed over a period of decades in America, must be acknowledged if major issues like food security are to be overcome, the new European Union chief scientist told PublicServiceEurope.com. In her first interview on the topic since taking on the EU role, Anne Glover denounced the standards of the GM debate in Europe, suggesting it was emotional rather than scientific. In other words, it's all wonderful. There's no... There's no evidence for any any uh, side effects of the food, etc., etc., and it's just anxiety in the public. And she goes on to say how GM crops and animals are are, are fine to eat, etc., etc. For your lot, mind you, she won't be eating it. She'll be on the natural stuff, believe you me. But then I got this article here, and it's the only one that I found from a big. Uh, uh, it's from the Journal of Applied Toxicology on. Uh, the glyphosate uh, and the different mixtures they use for pesticides on the, the GM crops, the special, special uh, pesticides that they use. And it's the abstracts of it. I haven't seen page two yet. It's supposed to be out by now. This is the first one to show you. And it does go through it, and it tells you <laughs> about the problems that, 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 that this stuff causes with uh, embryonic kidney cells and so on. It tells you as well that there's three biomarkers of cell death, which they've tested measurement of mitochondrial succinate dehydrogenase, etc., etc. But what it tells you is causing cell death and even lower doses than they advise the farmers to use. 
weighed way down. This is rest, the Roundup test alone from 1 to 20,000 parts per million is necrotic and epipoptic from 50 parts per million, far below agricultural dilutions, which is 50% lethal concentration at 57.5 parts per million. The only measured significant combined effect was that the, the CRY1AB and CRY1AC, these are parts, but reduced caspases 3 by 7 activations induced by Roundup could delay the activation of apoptosis. This was the same tendency for other markers. In these results, we argue that modified BT toxins are not, are not inert on non-targeted human cells. In other words, they're active, and that they can present combined side effects with other residues of pesticides specific to GM plants. It causes necrosis, death of tissue. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix. As I've said many times, what happens in one country today, legally or through the, the government system, especially to do with spying, is the same as every other country. They're all going into the same thing at the same time, on every level, because it's coordinated globally. And they do have global meetings about it. We're all intermeshed in a global structure. So if it's happening in France, new law legislation is happening in Canada, it's happening in Britain, it's happening at the same time. I put I'll put a link up tonight to a bigger brother. It says total surveillance comes to the UK. That's where they're going to use um, a, a new system based on the cloud and so on to give government agencies complete real-time analysis of everything that you're doing. Every single citizen, and they're going to check and double-check to see if that's you and check to see if you're going to 10 doctors at the same time, uh, all of these different kind of things, all the different locations you're at in real time. They want to know every single thing about everybody now. And so I'll put this link up tonight. And here's the one from Canada at the same time. G-Cloud Entity Group Single View, they call it Single View, Product Suite Approved. And uh, Canada takes this sitting down. Most of it won't even hear about it. If they do, they'll just dismiss it because they, they think that they're just, who's, who's interested in them? But it says, Entity Group, a leading UK-based information management solutions company today, announced that they had been selected to provide their Single View Product Suite via the government's new G-Cloud catalogue. They applied for two of the four lots on the G Cloud framework, software as a service and specialist cloud services, and were approved for both of them. Remember what, what as I say, what Lennon said, is said, well, give them services. It confuses the public, you see. You think it's something I can, I can take or leave uh, at, at my leisure, but no, services are authorities, you see, like your health authority and everything else. Entity Single View Product Suite provides government agencies with trustworthy, timely and relevant data about citizens, patients, patient pathways and subjects of interest. That's the part's important. Subjects of interest, that's everything else about you. By knowing who your citizens, patients and subjects are, you're able to provide targeted service delivery. It's really to help you get better delivery from government, right? Use resources efficiently, identify fraud and crime, reduce costs and make information available for joined up service provision. So all the services are in on this. Understanding the importance of information, how to extract value from its critical to success in the public sector, said James Wilkinson, Executive Vice President of Entity Group. 
In a strained economy, very difficult decisions have to be made, but the challenge of providing first-rate, cost-effective services remains, is PR spiel, of course. UK government is awash with personal information and data. The challenge now is how to unlock the power and potential of the strategic assets. Entity's single-view product suite reduces the barriers of to information management across the government space. So it's everything, that's all your your emails, that's your your Facebooks and all the usual stuff that you ridiculously signed on to, and they'll have all the data that they want because government wants to know again every single thing about you to help you better, to give you better services, you understand. This is the UK government's ICT strategy and its strategic implementation plan published in 2011 places a heavy emphasis on realising the value of the information it holds as an asset in order to share information between government departments and citizens. Furthermore, the Prime Minister has underlined the importance of transparency and open data in his letter to Cabinet Ministers dated 7th of July 2011. Similarly, the National Health Service is governed by new policies towards patient centricity and understands that information is the key to better care, better outcomes and reduce costs. So they're using the old scam against to help the poor and the sick and all the rest of it. This is while the policing and intelligence services have a de facto requirement for trusted joined up information. That's the part that's true. <laughs> Departments across the public sector now have a set of mandates to work with. Uh, proven information management partners to help them progress towards the vision of joined up service provision. So all, all, any, all and every government department will be able to access your personal data and work with it to try to get commonalities of what you're up to, what you're doing and so on. And, uh, everything's on there. Everything, believe you me, uh, it's all in one. So that's your freedoms for you, for those who care about them. Now, I talked last week, too, about a few things. And the week before, I talked about the exogenesis, of course, the projects where ultra-feminist scientists want to create babies out of the womb, in artificial wombs, because it's just unfair that nature made them to be the carriers of, of babies, for instance. No kidding. I mean, this is a big thing. But it's also to do with transhumanism, which is funded by all the big foundations to push into the next step to create a new race of servile workers. And, and and really that's what this article here is about, if you can think about about what I'm saying here. It says, why the British are free-thinking and the Chinese love conformity. It's all in the genes, claim the scientists. So here we have the eugenicists at it again, you see. Remember, they want to take genes out of the, uh, the sperm or the ovum, the ones that, are, they know the, the ones that make you talk back, be antisocial to governments and defiant, oppositional defiancy or, or, and all that stuff that they're calling it today. So here we, let's hear their spiel here. It says, cultural stereotypes may be deep-rooted in a genetic makeup, say scientists. Common traits like British individualism and Chinese conformity could be attributed to genetic differences between races according to a new study, you see. It was done by the Department of Psychology at Northwestern University in Illinois, and it suggests that the individualism seen in Western nations and the higher level of collectivism and family loyalty found in Asian cultures are caused by differences in the prevalence of particular genes. You can see where it's going if you want a passive population. Back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. 
Hi folks, I'm back Cutting through the matrix and reading about the push You understand how to read articles because they're not out there by accident And even though most people, if they even have a cursory glance them, They don't remember too much Except the basic thing that's meant to be embedded in their mind And that is the fact that this is all coming down the pike and then when it comes, it's obviously natural because you've got a vague recollection of something. It must be evolving, so it's natural, you see. And it says, and it, never mind all the stuff that's in the movies, especially the sci-fi movies uh, and articles and various science magazines. But it says, uh, Chiu and her colleagues combined data from global genetic uh, surveys looking at variations in the prevalence of various genes. These are the various genes that make you an individual, you see. The findings were matched with other research which ranked nations by levels of individualism and collectivism. You've all to be collectivists, remember, in the new communitarian societies, which is in vogue in Britain right now. So the team focused their attention on the gene that controls levels of serotonin, a chemical in the brain which regulates mood and emotions. It is more than that. It's a necessity for freedom, in fact. It's a kind of fight-or-flight thing for survival. Even you'll find that crickets and insects that swarm and take off in swarms tend to produce a lot of serotonin before they make the big jump. So it's a, all creatures have this. It's interesting, too, that a lot of so-called antipsychotic medications right now, uh, are, they block the, the serotonin uptake and uh, they inhibit them. And the people end up being nice, obedient, little, easily controlled people, which is exactly what they want. So the studies found that one version of the gene was far more common in Western populations, which they said was associated with individualistic and free-thinking behavior. Another version of the same gene which was prevalent in Asian populations is said was associated with collectivism and a greater willingness to put the common good first. It's all for the common good, isn't it? That's what I tell you about everything. People with this gene appear to have a different response to serotonin. If they are confirmed, the findings made by Chiu and her colleagues would suggest that races may have a number of inherent psychological differences just as they differ in physical appearances. They never mention anything about cultures and, and the evolution of societies. No, it's all to do with genes. Genes are everything to them, you see. Chio suggests that the version of the gene predominating in Asian populations is associated with heightened anxiety levels and increased risk of depression. Maybe that's because they've been under oppressive governments for so long. She adds that such populations respond by structuring their society to ward off those negative effects. In other words, you come together because you need communal help. The success of such structures would then ensure that the gene would spread. She added that the findings showed her culture could exert a powerful influence on human genetics and evolution. So they really want to do this in transhumanism, is remove certain genes from, I guess, most of the population at the bottom level to make you more compliant and more like the Chinese. And I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding about that. That's all the rage. Governments have meetings all the time, uh, global meetings about this kind of stuff. And, it's, uh, and of course, the, the big push now is to order babies. There's the women who order babies today. They want this and that and the other. And uh, they tell them the heights and all the rest of it. But what they don't know is the big boys at the top have been uh, doing a lot of experiments with these little babies that they end up with. And they study them for the rest of their lives, unknown to the person who's adopted to them. So things are going on all the time. Also, I, I read an article not so long ago about the Japanese scientist that wanted us all to eat poop. You know, it's reconstructed poop, basically. 
And he says it's clean and all the rest. Personally, I think the guy's full of you know what. But anyway, this is the stuff they're pushing on you for sustainability, right? And this article here is about, they call it pink slime. And it says, Los Angeles, are you ready for a little pink slime in your children's school lunches? Officially called lean beef trimmings. You know, there are utter liars at the top, but terminology is so important. Lean beef sounds not too bad to the people who run into, oh, you've got to have lean beef, right? But it's actually made of all the throwaways that they don't normally sell from the cow. You know, like tendons and things like that. That's really what it means. So they're liars right off the bat. Anyway, it says the ammonia-treated ground beef is bright pink in color. Thus has the moniker pink slime. Consists of ground-up beef scraps, cow connective tissues, and other beef trimmings. I say the rubbish that you don't normally eat, but it's lean beef trimmings. Yeah. The meat is treated with ammonium hydroxide to kill bacteria, and then I get oh, goodness knows how long it's been lying out to need that done to it, and then blended into traditional meat products like hamburger patties. Although pink slime has been rejected by fast food restaurants like McDonald's, Taco Bell, and Burger King, the USDA is buying million pounds of it for school lunches, so the lower classes get the, the <laughs> CRAP. And you know where it's all going with it, you see, because the elites don't eat any of this stuff. Health watchdogs have voiced various safety concerns about the pink slime. Some of the concerns involve dangers associated with ammonium hydroxide, which is also used in household cleaners and fertilizers. But I'm sure an expert will come out and tell you it's good for you. Additionally, in 2009, the New York Times reported that despite being treated with ammonia, E. coli and salmonella were found in tests of lean beef trimmings from schools across the country. That's because this stuff should have been tossed out long ago. It's the cross is set now, you see. Between 2005 and 2009, E. coli was found three times and salmonella 48 times, according to the um, according to the Times. Despite concerns, the USDA insists its ground beef purchases meet the highest standards of food safety. Kitty pink slime school lunches. Anyway, there you go. That's what they want to feed the poor, and there's a lot worse to come uh, as they go into this nonsensical stuff about. Uh, about sustainability. Oh, what they're really doing, you see, is if you're, if you're a little region, not country, but region area, is producing well and causing little trouble for the law and order as you go on your starvation diets and get sick, if you're causing little trouble, uh, then, of course, you, you get a, a few perks here and there. And uh, uh, it won't be better food, mind you, but they maybe give you more electricity, for instance, things like that, for sustainability. Australia, this is an article that's quite uh, quite comical too. They're all comical to me, you see. But it says, uh, uh, Sandra, Mur- Sandra Murray was the one to put this up. It's probably a handout from a, one of these private um, foundations helping advise governments on sustainability. It says, update Australia's dietary guidelines to consider sustainability. So, uh, yeah, disclosure first that Sandra Murray does not work for or consult to own shares in or receive funding from any company or organization that would benefit from this article. Sure. It says, University of Technology Sydney is a founding partner of The Conversation. The University of Tasmania is also a member of The Conversation. Our goal is to ensure the content is not compromised in any way. And it says there, it says, uh, healthy foods needs to promote long-term health, so must consider environmental impacts. 
And then they go on and on and on about the consumption of seafood. It's led to the over-exploitation of three-quarters of the world's ocean. Meat and dairy foods require more water, energy, and phosphorus produced and have higher greenhouse gas emissions. Yada, 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 you know. And it mentions in the NHMRC's draft Australian Dietary Guidelines and, and so on, which the, I'll give you the link for that too. You won't read up what you're going to be eating in the future. So it's got a, a huge guideline here. It says a review of some 55,000 health and nutrition studies, wide consultation with food, nutrition, and health experts around Australia, as well as in-depth modeling and analysis. And then it goes on to tell you what you should and shouldn't eat, of course. And, and, and of course, climate change is going to cause a lot of problems, like more heat-related deaths, more flood-related deaths, and I've covered every base except ice, an increase in mosquito-borne diseases. We heard that, no, 30 years ago. An increase in water-borne diseases, more food-borne diseases like gastroenteritis and hepatitis, probably from the shots you get. But anyway, more food plants uh, and less meat and dairy. So the whole thing is to put you back into the vegetarian society. Remember that I mentioned before in the third wave, the book that Newt Gingrich handed to, out to all the congressmen and uh, uh, by Alvin Toffler, another guy of the, the, the New World Order Circle. They said the world we're bringing in is a vegetarian society. That's for the bottom. That's all, all of us, all the carp, the carp type at the bottom. Uh, but they won't be eating that at the top. So the vegetarian society says and it must be so. It must be so. So they want to reduce... Uh, uh, emissions from livestock, etc., so that we can eat all their GM food and, and get drugged, probably lose our serotonin on the way, and be happy in our communes till we die at a very young age. So they've, got, they've, they've covered every base, and they get these handouts. They just stick them in the newspapers with the collusion of the newspaper uh, owners, which is all comes from foreign relation boys, and away they go. And Australia, too, as I say, is, is utterly hammered because they never had all these free trade deals on the go. They were still in the British free trade deal system. But now the, the British one was intended to expand across the world globally, like Milner and the, and the boys said over 100 years ago. And, they, and losing jobs left, right and centre. Trans-Pacific trade negotiations are on track, it says. The latest round of negotiations and ambitious nine-nation trans, Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement concluded in Melbourne this week with members suggesting the deal was on track ahead of the year-end goal for completion. Australia's chief negotiator, Hamish McCormick, refused to offer a date for its completion, but said the 11th round of talks brought substantial progress in the areas of regulatory adherence, the deepening of regional supply chains, and the promotion of development. I mean, God help them all there, because it's a shot. they're hitting them really hard and fast with this. It's not being incrementally introduced. So, so they're really into this stuff. It says for the, as the agreements for the 21st century are all being signed right now. And of course, China is the big, big boy for that area. They've been given all the rights over the whole region. And eventually, the, the, one day, there'll be no Australia and no New Zealand and so on. That's the way it's supposed to go, according to the Royal Institute of International Affairs, who said at one of their groups, again, a hundred years ago, who's been working on the Far East to bring all this about. Uh, the Council on Pacific Relations was one of them. That belongs to the CFR. It's one of the groups. So they're right on track with this, and uh, they'll just lose all their jobs like crazy, which they are doing, in fact, already. Micromanagement by the control freaks is part of the Orwellian world we're moving into. 
And it's, it's partly Orwellian and it's partly Aldous Huxley because they're introducing both at the same time. The big stick and the psychological persuasion to, to guide you into new ways of living and behaving. But they're also going so far into this system that it gets ridiculous with control freaks. You can't turn without control freaks. Maybe the Chinese, with, with their lack of serotonin, wouldn't mind it. But if, you're, if you do have serotonin, you certainly do. Town sets to use CSI-style tests on dog poop and bid to track down the owners. No kidding. This is a tiny village in Scotland. Plans to start seaside tests on dog poo, etc., to track down the owners. Locals in Castletown, Caithness, are kicking up a stink about increased dog fouling in the streets, really. There's probably one or two that are on the board that run the, run the little place. Now, Highland Council plans to launch a pilot scheme where a DNA database of all dogs in the area is set up so of, of offending owners can be easily traced. And the council, Robert Coggle, wants to use London-based firm Green Paws, who have developed DNA technology which matches dog dirt to an individual animal and have carried out a successful scheme in Croatia. No kidding. They, they have no original ideas of their own. They're bored stiff. But a lot of these characters came up from England, you know, that run Scotland, for retirement or semi-retirement or early retirement. Uh, because they made it such a mess of, as they were supposed to do, of destroying England. And, and so these civil servants, next civil servants, move up to Scotland and end up running the country to, to drive it into the, the, the grave as well. They're all over Scotland. And the Highlands too. But anyway, it says here, they developed DNA technology which matches a dog dirt to an individual animal and is apparently successful in Croatia. They must be even crazier than Scotland. He said not only is dog mess unsightly, smelly, nasty, but it's a threat to health, especially children. Cattle and horses have passports and sheep are double-tagged to help with traceability. DNA can do the same for dogs. Well, you know, this is all getting you acclimatized, just like the chip that was first put in animals and dogs, especially dogs, and it's getting acclimatized for your chip coming as well. Then when they find your poop somewhere, you know, because you can't afford the water to flush it away, they'll know where it come, right? Now, Parts of the system that Australia is finding too, and we'll find a lot more of shortly, is to destroy the cultures of the societies which exist at the present. A lot of them have already gone. And I mentioned before that Tony Blair's right-hand man, I read it on the air from the mainstream, who admitted that they were told to bring in the, open the floodgate, mainly from India, for immigration, to destroy, they said, for to destroy the British culture forever in such a way they could never, ever uh, reform and, and get itself back to the old way at all. Total destroyment of, uh, destroying of culture. Secret EU deal forces Britain to take in 12,000 Indian workers despite soaring unemployment. It's actually not an EU deal, by the way. It's, it's a free trade deal through the World Trade Organization. So they can't even get that right, but they're not supposed to, because you see, we're global now. The United Nations run all that stuff. Remember, the free trade deals mean, means the free movements of, of goods and labor across all borders and continents. So anyway, they bring in 12,000 more Indian workers, and who won't go home and their families will join them, and that's just the way it's been for years. So it says, Britain must take in more Indian workers than any other nation, and twice as many as France must have given 30% of the workers despite having only 12% of the population. Brussels has drawn up a secret diktat which could force Britain to admit 12,000 workers, etc., from India. 
The order is part of an EU-wide plan to boost trade with India. We're going to trade people. <laughs> UAE officials say that in return for opening up the jobs market, countries such as Britain will be helped to land lucrative export deals. So is it blackmail or what? But of the 40,000 workers who will be allowed to live and work in Europe, Britain has been told it must take 12,000 according to leaked EU documents. It says this is far more than any other EU nation and twice the number which will be permitted France. Even Germany, which was one of the world's largest economies, will admit only 8,000 workers. Then migrants who can live and work in Britain for six months will be in addition to get people given visas under Britain's supposedly strict immigration cap. So once they get the visas, they never go home. This is despite the EU not normally being allowed to meddle in Britain's border controls. Now who's kidding who? When you signed, when you allowed yourselves to be taken over by the EU government, that was also set up by the Royal Institute of International Affairs, that was part of their agenda, uh, you didn't have a nation anymore. You're not sovereign. You're under this big monolithic Soviet structure called the EU Parliament. And they, they are not democratic. They've never pretended to be democratic. They're authoritarian for a, for a post-democratic world. That's what they said. That's what they are. That's what the Club of Rome said too. So you have no say in what's happening in your country or who's coming in, or you don't even know the reasons why they are coming in, is to deculturalize everyone else. Now, the power of the police is something else. An article came out to talk about how you're putting blacklists for work. Blacklists for work. And this thing's been going on for over, I think, 20-odd years. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back cutting through the matrix and you never think about the police being involved in really intelligence work and collusion with big organizations like MI5, but they, they do. It says police are linked to a blacklist of construction workers. It says the police or security services supplied information to a blacklist funded by the country's major construction firms that's kept thousands of people out of work over the past three decades, 30 years for couldn't get jobs. And, and these, if they were on the list. The Information Commissioner's Office has revealed that records that could only have come from the police or the MI5 have been discovered in a vast database of files held on 3,200 victims who were deemed left-wing or troublesome. They're talking about guys who were pushing unions. The files were collected by the Consulting Association, a clandestine organization funded by major names in the construction industry. Its databases were seized nearly three years ago, but the extraordinary nature of the information held has only now emerged following an employment tribunal for one of the victims, Dave Smith, a 46-year-old engineer who had a 36-page file against his name and was victimized repeatedly for highlighting safety hazards on sites, including the presence of asbestos. David Clancy, investigations manager at the ICO, told the Central London Tribunal uh, adjudicating on Smith's claims against construction giant Carillon, or Carillion it's called, that there is information on the consulting association files that I believe could only be supplied by police or the security services, MI5 again. Speaking to the observer, Clancy added, the information was so specific, specific it contained an, in effect, operational information that wouldn't have formed anything other than a police record. 
The scandal will be thrown open to further exposure in the coming months as a class action by 100 victims against at least 39 companies is set to be pursued in the High Court by Hugh Tomlinson QC, currently counsel for several of the phone hacking claimants. The revelations will inevitably raise fresh questions about the probity, the probity of the police in a week in which its relationship with the major news corporations and News International in particular has come under sharp focus. So last week, the Levinson or Levinson inquiry heard that the police were investigating a network of corrupt officials as part of their inquiries into phone hacking and police corruption. So we're already in Big Brother's world, you see, folks. And most of you, you've all, actually all of you have got files on you, all of you. I've got files new in the so-called first world countries. And some of them are massive. There was one German guy, ended up, he found 900 pages it was allowed to find under the Freedom of Information Act. But some have got thousands on you. And that includes everyone. The ones who keep their heads down and think, I'm good, I'm not worried about anything. Yep, you've got big files as well. See, everyone's important. Everybody must be predictable in a, a tyrannical society. That's the old, old adage. You must be predictable. They want to know where you are, what you're doing at all times. Have you varied your pattern of behavior? If you have, why? They've got to find out immediately. You see? But here it comes. If you speak out against things that are killing people, like asbestos, for instance, you might never get a job for the rest of your life. And a lot of folk will commit suicide because they think they start thinking, they never suspect this is being done on them. They think it must be themselves, their failures, and uh, things just go wrong all the time when they apply for jobs. They're just turned down and have no idea why. That's the real world you're living in, folks. The real world, not the entertainment world. The stuff that you, 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 you generally try and live in is entertainment in your head to pass your boring lives and your boring jobs. That's what folk do. Or we have music that others give us. Because life is pretty boring for most. But anyway, we've all got files, and that's your brave new world. Most folk don't mind. They'll put more and more info up there willingly for them to grab. And those folk are goners already. Mind you, I guess they've not got any serotonin left, probably. That's probably the reason. From Hamish, myself, from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God or your gods go with you.